Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome to the Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Wendy. Wendy, how are you doing? Really well, thank you. The sun is shining. I'm just back from a nice long weekend off work. So yeah, feeling good. How are you? Fabulous. Well, I'm I'm ever so slightly... Well, I'm energised this morning because there's the tube strikes have actually started and um, I actually forgot. So I've just done this massive walk from Waterloo Station to Liverpool Street. <laughs> I've been up since about sort of 6.30 and walking across London. However, do you know what? It's kind of fun, though. It was a bit drizzly and there were lots of people about and it wasn't the end of the world. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, but here we are. But we are joined today by James Davies. And he is the Head of Marketing for First Direct. James, it's lovely to have you here. Hello. Good morning to you both. No walking across London for you then? I just walked downstairs. I'm in my kitchen. (laughs) 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 Haven't gone outside in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) I I thoroughly recommend it. But uh, James, what we do with our guests is just kind of do going backwards a little bit. I would love to hear about your career, how you got into marketing in the first place. For some people, it's very much a calling. Some people, it's a sort of a few accidental moves. Tell me and Wendy about your career sort of up to now. Yeah, sure. So I I studied business and politics at university and it was the marketing part that really interested me. So my first kind of role in marketing was an internship in uh, one of the summers of university and I worked on the Sharwoods brand so part of a big FMCG uh, but Asian foods and I just found it really interesting understanding how consumers tastes had developed mm. some of the differences between you know our, our taste in the UK around Indian food was developed by people moving to the UK and uh, establishing restaurants here whereas by contrast our taste on Thai food was developed by people going on holiday there and so just kind of learning about how consumers had um, different expectations and how we could deliver to those it kind of it, it really kind of resonated with me and then I went back to do my final bit of university and after that I ended up going into banking and so kind of banking in marketing it was there evermore so I started in Coots which is um, Mm -hmm. a private bank part of uh, Royal Bank of Scotland and I did some time there and then went to Royal Bank of Scotland but that was just for about two and a half years in total and then most of my career has been at HSBC Mm -hmm. so when I joined HSBC I joined the uh, UK commercial banking marketing team so I was based in Canary Wharf but over the years, I've had a chance to kind of move around a bit. So I've worked in the global marketing team. I got to travel to you know, all over the world. And then I relocated to Hong Kong with my husband. We spent two and a half years there. And I had a regional role covering uh, campaigns across Asia and looking after the international markets. So you know, we got to kind of experience working in all different places 
a big project was the integration of another bank that we'd bought in Indonesia. So I spent a lot of time in Jakarta. And then after a couple of years there, I moved to Canada again with my husband and uh, led the B2B marketing team in Canada for HSBC, uh, which was brilliant. Loved living there uh, before coming back to the UK and leading the UK commercial bank marketing team, which was quite a nice full circle because that's the team that I'd started in HSBC. And, and then just last summer, I actually moved to First Direct, which obviously still part of the HSBC family, but for the first time I get to work on a different brand, which is really exciting um, and I'm loving it so far. Oh, it's fantastic. And I love the fact that you kind of were able to sort of spend time in, in uh, Hong Kong and then Canada. And was that kind of something that you were able to request and just sort of say, this is what I fancy doing, or was it an opportunity and you just kind of like jumped on it? How, how did that kind of come about? Yeah, I think when you join HSBC, it's kind of it's something that so many people around you have had the opportunity to do that it kind of opens your eyes to the idea that you could go and work in other places. I think for some people, it's it's one of the reasons why they want to come and work at HSBC for those opportunities to go and experience working in a different culture. For me, when I when I first got to HSBC, actually, I think I got the slight kind of travel bug because I got the opportunity to do a couple of overseas trips. So within a couple mm. of a couple of months as a as a you know relatively junior person i was off on planes to sao paulo and hong kong and i just thought this is amazing i want to do more of this um so i started to incorporate it into my personal development conversations yeah and then i i had a, a boss who actually relocated to hong kong and we kind of maintained the connection and so it kind of went from there and what are your tips to someone who kind of is just going to be taking up a new role in in like Hong Kong or or Canada? You know that the whole concept of just moving your your life, moving out there with your husband, and just sort of you know starting again in a new country. What 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 were your tips on how, on how to sort of do that well? Well, firstly, make sure that you both sign up to it because there will be some mm-hmm. bits where you find it quite challenging, and it's helpful to yeah. kind of remind each other that you both agreed to do it. Uh, you didn't kind of go there under duress Um, (laughs) and but on the whole it was hugely rewarding so there were a lot of positives I think it was helpful to speak to other people who were expats who'd moved there because they have a different experience of kind of coming in as an outsider and they can give you tips on how to kind of you know navigate you know all kind of whether it's government forms that you've got to do or kind of places to go places to meet people what else would I say? I think just enjoy it. Like, don't don't forget that. Because yeah. you'll be there for a limited amount of time. And I think that's the great thing. And we see it with, you know, colleagues from other places who come and work in London. You know, they're brilliant at getting on a plane and going to somewhere in Europe for the weekend because they they know that they've got kind of, you know, a window of time they want to be there. So I think just making sure that you make the most of that incredible opportunity. Like I've visited so many places in Asia and the Americas. It's just, yeah make the most of it yeah I think doing doing a relocation with a corporate is a really good way of doing it as well because you know you you automatically have a network when you get there you've got all of these yeah, of colleagues who can kind of give you tips people you can hang out with at the weekends I mean particularly in Hong Kong you know your kind of HSBC colleagues are also your family you kind of spend time socially if you've got kids they go to school together 
So it's it's a great way of moving to a new place is having that kind of corporate network already. Fantastic. And so now at First Direct, um, just before I let Wendy loose on you, I just <laughs> I am curious to know, obviously you said that you took up a, a new role last summer and we are st- still in a pandemic. It's getting, you know, slightly easier in terms of restrictions, but from a, a sort of a leadership point of view and starting a, a new role, how has it been for you in the pandemic? Have you been able to sort of meet everybody that you're working with now? Yes, I have actually a few times. And before Omicron, you know, we've gotten into quite a nice rhythm of we've, we've done a few things like team drinks and I'd been going into the office every week. And then with Omicron, you know, it kind of pulled back from that for a few weeks and now it's the first of March and I'm facing into a couple of related Christmas parties in the next couple of weeks as we kind of get back into reconnecting with each other Um, so I think probably because it was the tail end of it it has been easier um, because we have had those chances to reconnect I think what we've already noticed is just how how much you how much you need to have that kind of face-to-face connection you know you can do some of it online but you really want to have some of that time kind of in a room together. Definitely. It's almost like um, just kind of recharging, isn't it? You sort of, and, and even if you sort of connect with people, it can almost last, you know, a month or something like that. But it is important to just have that sort of reconnection and have a bit of food with someone. That's what I always say. I just want to have food with people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it can. I think it's funny because it can be both very energizing, but then also like at the end of it, I can feel a little bit, kind of drained because I I kind of crave that connection but sometimes so much stimulus it can kind of make me feel like a bit like oh I need to go and have a lie down now (laughs) not used to it maybe (laughs) overtired (laughs) James uh, you'll know if you've if you've been able to listen to other uh, episodes of our podcast I get a bit nosy about people's childhoods so I'm really interested in learning about how people were as kids, how that has influenced where they end up as adults, or even if it does, you know, it maybe doesn't for all of us. So what were you like as a child? Yeah, so I I had to think about this, but I was actually, I'm the first child, I'm the eldest child, but I was also the first grandchild on both sides, and the first either niece or nephew to all of my aunts and uncles. So I was the golden child, I probably still am in many ways, in terms of (laughs) You know, I was pretty well behaved. Um, I think a lot of kind of doting on me because I was the only child for a while. And I think I probably ended up with a bit of that first child syndrome, you know, kind of feeling like I had to live up to those expectations. So I think I probably am a bit of a a stickler for the rules and want to kind of please people. And I think part of that comes from, from kind of being that first child. And I think it took me up until I was much older to start thinking about kind of doing things for myself rather than to please other people. So has that shaped how you are now, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I still want to make my parents proud. And, you know, I think I see that in other people who are kind of the first child. You know, they tend to kind of not break the break the mould so much. And then the second mm-hmm. child, like in my case, my brother will kind of, carve out his own path it's just kind of it's the nature of being the eldest child yeah I think it probably has affected you know how I want to then make people proud in in my work life as well you know I want to Mm -hmm. do a good job by my boss or you know make my team proud so yes it's it's kind of what I've 
grown up to be as well. And you were saying at university you studied business and politics. Is that something that is that something you'd wanted to do for a long time, or when you were a kid, were there other jobs that you fancied doing when you grew up? Yeah, so actually, my first career aspiration, I wanted to be a bin man because I had seen out the window that they got to ride on the back of the truck, and I thought that looked like great fun. So <laughs> I declared that as my intent at about the age of three years old. And then I went through many other kind of professions. I was a bit kind of fickle, flicking around. But actually, I was just thinking about this um, and how I ended up in financial services because I was an avid letter writer when I was growing up. And about a year ago, I found a letter that I'd written to my grandmother. She kept all of the letters that I wrote. And in this letter, uh, I was writing to her about the fact that she'd given me some money as a gift. And I was writing to her to say that I had opened an account with the Building Society because I had realized that when they demutualized, they gave some money back to their members. So I think from that was probably about the age of 10. And I had already kind of like started to look how the financial system worked and was fascinated by banks and building societies and personal finance. So I think there was probably always this kind of destiny that I would end up working in a bank. Well, I think it sounds like, you know, first child, first grandchild, first niece, nephew, it was probably inevitable that you'd end up at first direct. (laughs) Yes, I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, very on (laughs) that. And thinking about all the people that you've worked with over the years or studied with or were at school with or, 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 you know, part of your family, who who are the people who the genuine humans who've really influenced you? Yeah, so I mean, sticking on first, my first line manager, when I joined Coots was a lady called Jenny Clark and she had a wicked sense of humor but was also incredibly level-headed and caring and she had a she had a a very busy job a lot going on a lot of kind of managing both the marketing but also the regulatory side of things so it was quite high stress but she she was just so level-headed about everything and um I remember when I was going on holiday and stressing about my work not progressing, she would remind me that the bank had survived three centuries and it could probably survive me going on holiday for a week. Um, That's so a real leveller, yeah, isn't it? Ease, but also kind of remind me of my place in the world, which I quite, I think it was quite helpful. <laughs> and she also used to bake at the weekends and then bring in these cakes and write these long emails about this alter ego called Marjorie, who'd actually been up to all kinds of escapades and have the whole office in fits of laughter. So I think I just learned that you could do a very serious job and have a lot of responsibility, but still not take life too seriously, um, which I think was a valuable lesson. And one expression that always I say to people, and I always remember it because she taught me it, is assumption is the mother of all F-ups. I'm not sure if we're allowed to swear on here, so, but I think you know what I mean. It's fine, it's um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just, it's such a truism and it's something that I just, uh, I always have a voice in my ear. So she really had an impact on me and the, I have very fond memories of working with her. And the other person who I I have to say is Trisha Weiner, who I think you may know. I think she's pretty well known in the marketing world. Yes. Um, and she was my boss in, in multiple roles in the UK, Hong Kong, Canada, and then back in the UK. Anyone who knows her, hugely inspiring, magnetic personality. She really drove a lot of impact in terms of the customer agenda in HSBC. Um, and in terms of the impact on me, she gave me lots of development opportunities, supported my desire to do more with the LGBT plus employee resource group and on sustainability. She gave me career guidance, connected me with mentors. And she also gave me honest feedback about opportunities which maybe weren't aligned to my personal brand or aspirations. So 
you know, she's been a, a massive impact on my career um, and we remain great friends. James, I just want to sort of dig in uh, around uh, what you were saying about uh, being supported by HSBC, being part of the LGBTQ community and, and having that platform. What, is that, what has that meant for you personally? I think for me, the ability to be myself and to pursue something which really mattered to me was um, probably why I've stayed at HSBC longer than maybe otherwise, because I think you need to have more than just a day job in terms of your sense of personal purpose. Um, and I think that the the commitment to diversity and inclusion is, is part of kind of what people can connect with at HSBC uh, as an employee or as a customer. You know, we, we are a global organization. We believe in openness and being connected to the rest of the world, connected to each other. And yeah, so I just think it gave me kind of, I felt like it was an environment that I could do things which are important. So when I moved to Hong Kong, I joined the employee resource group Pride and it was just really fulfilling because we had sponsorship from senior executives. One of them was Noel Quinn, who's now our group CEO. And we expanded the membership. We tripled the size of our membership. We were able to make changes to the experience for customers who are LGBT. Um, we did quite a prominent campaign um, kind of raising kind of the profile of Pride so it was it was just really fulfilling because I was aligning my personal values, but also my passion for doing marketing and creativity. And I think that, you know, there are pockets of, of that going on all over the place. You know, last week, I think it was last week, HSBC in the UK had a really successful uh, result on Stonewall in terms of our ranking, um, also in terms of some kind of recognition. I think there were a number of different pieces of recognition. So... Um, you know, that continues and it's it kind of something that we're seeing. There are people who are passionate about that all over the organisation in different places, doing things which have a real positive impact. And it's something that, you know, I know that sometimes companies get uh, criticised, but, you know, having worked with HSBC for, for so long, we know from the inside what they were doing to support and, and all of the different campaigns. But it kind of reminds me about the importance of just showing up as well, because, you know, I released a blog yesterday about the importance of having a presence and, and uh, being out there when, when you have a platform. And, you know, as a, as a out gay CEO myself, I, I like to sort of bang on about it a lot, not just to bang on about it, but because it sort of, it uh, brings attention and perhaps encourages people not to go back in the closet when they start their at their first big job for example but I always remember just being at different conferences and there's often a, a representative from HSBC which is it's important it's math it matters that people turn up and talk about things so yeah I think there's a, a lot to be proud of there from from a brand point of view yeah and I think you know sometimes people often look at the size of an organization as being you know, it's a kind of big corporate, faceless, giant kind of thing. But actually, our size is something that we can use to have a really positive impact, whether that's by raising the profile of aspects of DNI or, you know, talking about sustainability. You know, that's, that's kind of the privilege that we have with our scale. Absolutely. And so what would you say, just changing the subject a little bit, or maybe it's connected, but What's the bravest thing that you've done in your career or outside of your career? So I think the bravest thing 
that I'm doing at the moment is uh, becoming a father in May. So, oh my God. wow, congratulations. Quite scary, but quite exciting. Very exciting and very scary, actually. And it's been quite a long journey for my husband and I. So we are now at 27 weeks pregnant with our amazing surrogate. So yes, that's just going to be completely life-changing as everybody keeps telling me. And yes, I definitely think it's going to require some courage along the way. That is such brilliant news. And yeah, I'm sure everyone is saying that you're not going to get very much sleep at the beginning, but that's the the obvious one. But um, yeah, what a wonderful life change for you. Yeah, because you, you've just been through it, haven't you, Tamara? Yes, my partner has two children and the, the youngest is, yeah, he's now 13 months old. Wow. And yeah, it's, it, yeah, he's absolutely adorable. They're both adorable. But yeah, I, I, I was kind of quite shocked because I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, James. And <laughs> I was struggling with the, um, with, with the sleep, but uh, I've, I've got into a, a, yeah, it's, it's all getting, so much better but you forget about that because what what I find fascinating is how quickly everything changes mm. that you know he goes from being such a sort of small baby and and then learns to smile and then you know now he's he he almost said my name the other day and and it's it feels like everything goes so fast um so yeah I would just sort of say grab every moment that's brilliant advice I, I intend to um, it feels all sad to go back to the marketing now, but let's <laughs> <laughs> just talk about babies. What changes in marketing are really exciting you at the moment? I think the amount of data that we've got and, and how we can use it is something that certainly for banks, there's a lot of untapped potential there. So I'm really excited about that. And um, there's a couple of things that we've been working on. So in my last role, we launched Kinetic, which is a a business banking proposition app-based account basically which analyzes your cash flow helps you categorize your spend and make makes your cash flow more visual which is super helpful for a, a small business owner and it actually won best app-based business bank account in the uk last year so um it's great to see that kind of external validation and then similarly in first direct you know we want to use data transaction enrichment to try and help people we know that 19 percent of 18 to 34 year olds have a strong idea of how much they need to save for their goals in the next five years so you know a small minority and yet 63 percent of them aspire to buy a house so the way that we can bridge that gap really is you know helping them to understand the data that we hold for them and their data and help them to kind of map out what is that path to their goals and that's really exciting because I think there's just so much that we can do with the ability of technology now. Fantastic. How would you describe your style of leadership? I think my style of leadership is I do like to be around people. It, it's something that um, because I'm an extrovert, it gives me a lot of energy to be around people. But then mm-hmm. um, I've also done the DISC profile and the DISC profile, I'm an S. So I like to create harmony amongst people. So Me too. Kindred spirit. So actually, whilst I can be very energized by being around people, I can also, it can also take a lot of my energy because I want there to be harmony when we're all together. Um, And it took me a long time to figure out this kind of dynamic of like, why do I get so excited by being around people? But then I'm also kind of exhausted as well. So I think my style of leadership, it has changed a little bit in the pandemic because 
a lot of stuff just came naturally to me in the office environment and it was very mm. easy for me to just vibe off people and now you know with hybrids some days I might be kind of I might be connecting on Zoom all day, but I'm kind of rattling around in the house. So, yeah. you know, you can get kind of like the little voice in your ear being like, have you actually done anything meaningful today? And that kind of thing. And and so I think I've become much more aware of my kind of internal narrative because I've had that kind of time on my own. And I think as a result of it, I'm going to be much more kind of purposeful about what I do when I am in an office and what I do when I'm on my own and kind of trying to make the best out of each environment. I think also, although it's not related to the pandemic, because we have been on this journey of starting a family over the last couple of years, I think my leadership style has changed in in terms of becoming much more empathetic to other people starting a family. I remember mm-hmm. I've, I've had so many uh, team members who've gone on maternity leave or, or paternity leave over the years. And, and there's so many times people have said to me like, oh, I'm worried about my career going on hold or I'm worried people are going to forget about me and I've, I've kind of brushed it off and said don't worry because like genuinely I've felt that people shouldn't need to worry about that but actually now I'm having some of those same feelings and it's made me feel those are really real feelings that people are sit, having and and whilst they shouldn't have to feel that way I'm much more mindful of kind of acknowledging the existence of those feelings um, and kind of recognizing what it feels like to be in that situation. Yeah, it's great to have that empathy, isn't it, to, to sort of think about. And I think over the last couple of years, we've all had to sort of think so differently. If there's been one sort of positive, I suppose, is that we've all got more access to people's homes without that sounding weird. But we all understand what's going on at home more because it's more visible in, in video calls. And perhaps that sort of connection with how difficult it is uh, in trying to sort of juggle children and families and and work but yeah you're absolutely right that awareness of perhaps falling off the career ladder a little bit when you go away for a long period and and as leaders how important it is to be inclusive and and make sure that that uh, people feel connected back to the company when they when they come back yeah absolutely and and keeping in touch with them as and kind of having a conversation about how much you want to stay connected or or not when you yeah. kind of embark on that so we're on the home straight now. We're coming on to the bit of the podcast. We're going to get, I'm going to get all, I feel like I'm very nosy in these podcasts. So apologies if that's <laughs> the case. So um, <laughs> we'll just have some, some quick fire personal questions if that's okay. So uh, obviously your, your weekends are going to change in, in a couple of months time, but for the moment, what's your idea of the perfect weekend? So I, my perfect weekend because I have this combination of wanting social interaction plus then also needing to have some kind of quiet time actually I think that the perfect weekend is probably like the one that I've just had so Saturday night we had our first dinner party hosting in our new house um, and I love cooking so that was that was really nice Um, but then Sunday was just kind of like chill read the papers and so that combination of some fun and interaction and then some kind of time to myself is really perfect. Like having that self-awareness and, and it, it, it feels like we were similar. I know we've obviously got the same disc style we were saying, but I think that really helped me to think about that kind of thing as well. And I think it does help you to plan your outside work stuff as well. That sounds perfect to me as well, I must say. Any guilty pleasures? My guilty pleasure is probably the fact that I love watching The Real Housewives <laughs> of pretty much all of the cities. So uh, Beverly Hills is my favourite. 
uh, but I, I watched quite a few of them. Have you got into Selling Sunset at all? Uh, yes, I love that. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> I love it and too. And actually, I, so I just mentioned that we um, just moved into this new house and I had to go in and pick up the keys from the estate agent on the day we moved. And I'd only been dealing with the estate agent who is this really nice chap called Lee. And when I went in to pick up the keys, it was like saying sunset. He was literally surrounded by all of these glamorous ladies. And I was just like, this is like selling, selling sunset North London. <laughs> <laughs> they, need, they need to start recording it over here as soon as possible then. <laughs> yeah, well maybe they're gonna maybe that was a sneak preview and what advice would you give to your teenage self to be more accepting of who I am I did struggle with self-acceptance which is strange because actually nobody around me had a problem accepting who I was and and long after people had told me they'd accepted that I was gay you know I kind of carried with me harbored some kind of um uh, it took me a, a bit of time to get there myself and I kind of wish that I had the ability to go back and kind of tell myself that to accept myself and what is your personal superpower my personal superpower is probably a combination of optimism and open-mindedness I think it can get me through any situation I think that it may be optimism in the extreme and my husband is the opposite so we probably balance each other out nicely like he can inject a little bit of realism when i'm being overly optimistic but um certainly i find that optimism and open-mindedness have been hugely helpful in personal and professional life alike fantastic and james you mentioned that you love cooking as well and you've got your your new kitchen uh what's your favorite food my favorite food is beef wellington um oh, nice. but i haven't quite mastered it yet so i in lockdown this was kind of my every so often i would have a go at making this so usually on my birthday and new year i will attempt it and i'm just trying to get the right balance of cooking so you get the kind of the steak and the pastry cooked perfectly but it's i haven't quite mastered it yet and another kind of favorite is anything by ottolenghi which is um oh yes yotam ottolenghi's got brilliant restaurants in london um, and I love his cooking. I love the ingredients that he uses. So that was kind of what I was cooking on Saturday. I love good food. Very impressive. Yum. And if Tamara and I had it in our power to gift you an extra hour each day, how would you spend it? So because our baby, our um, little boy is due in May, I would say that for the next three months, it would be extra Spanish lessons because we want to raise him to speak Spanish and English. My husband's from Spain. And then I think after May, it would just be to have that extra time with him because I, I think, you know, to the point that you made tomorrow, you know, you, you've got to cherish those moments because they go so quickly. And how would your friends describe you? And is that the same as how you'd like them to describe you? Um, <laughs> I think they would describe me as passionate about what I do and with a strong moral compass i've heard people say that about me you know i do have a kind of strong sense of right and wrong probably a little bit of that kind of first child rule compliant nature in me as well and i am i think kind i think hopefully people would say i'm kind and and yeah i i think there's probably alignment between what they would say and what i would like them to say and you know from our previous discussions, and obviously you've been to some of our uh, lovely dinners, you know that I love a bit of karaoke. What is your karaoke go-to song? Are you a karaoke singer? Do you like a group one? Do you like solos? Or do you avoid it altogether? 
I do enjoy karaoke. I have never been invited back the second time to the same group of Uh-oh. people in karaoke because <laughs> I think I'm not very good. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely murder whatever song. Uh, but I think, you know, after a few drinks, probably something by Mariah Carey would be my go-to. <laughs> the fabulous. Obviously with much less vocal range. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you a hogger? Is this, is this the real truth that you just hog it? Um, I I don't think I hog it I think it's just such an unpleasant experience to listen to me singing I actually used to be a choir boy but it just kind of all went to went down the pan and when I got older I completely uh, have no ability to sing whatsoever (laughs) well do you know what I think it's all about the enjoyment so I'll make sure that you do come to another one of us (laughs) brace yourself James, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. And and before we end, um, I just want to give you the opportunity if there's anything that we haven't asked you that you do want to sort of talk about or if you have any sort of closing thoughts. I just think um, I've really enjoyed this experience. I think, um, there, you know, you, you get a bit of a chance to kind of reflect beforehand and there are not that many times when you kind of get a task which gives you some kind of pause to reflect on yourself and things about you and I think it's so valuable so so thanks for the opportunity and I'd highly recommend it to anybody you've been listening to genuine humans brought to you by the social element If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.